You're listening to the EFC Podcast. Writer Mark Buchanan sees things differently when he walks. I can totally relate to that. And I bet you can too, if you're a person who walks and thinks and prays and ponders. That's what some of us do as we make our way through our city streets or our country fields. My name is Karen Stiller, and thank you, Mark, for this wonderful piece that appeared in Faith Today magazine, which is now free, by the way. Sign up at faithtoday.ca. The Simple and Profound Joy of Walking in a Life of Faith by Mark Buchanan My friend Norm can't walk. He once walked. He strode the earth with vigor and ease, with effortless balance. But in as much time as it takes to read this sentence, he stopped walking. Not by choice. He lost the use of both legs when his horse flung him sideways and gravity pulled him earthward and he hit the ground at an angle that broke things inside him. In a blink, he went from agility to paralysis, from mobility to confinement, from standing most of his days to sitting for all of them. One moment, his legs went wherever he told them. The next, they refused. Norm never thought much about walking. He rarely contemplated the simple joy, the giddy freedom, the everyday magic of it. Now he thinks about it a lot. Until recently, I was like Norm before his accident. I walked a lot, but almost never thought about it. I had lost, if I ever possessed, sheer wonder at the simple, humble miracle of carrying myself around. Legs are more wondrous than a magic carpet, more regal than a king's litter. But I thought of them, if at all, as things I was forced to use only after I'd found the parking spot closest to the mall. But then, I started walking because I wanted to. Because I saw things differently when I did. I felt more deeply, thought more clearly. I figured things out. I sorted myself out. Walking helped me stay in shape. It helped me shed 30 pounds and keep it off. It gave me a sense of the actual scale of things, the bigness of trees, the smallness of beetles, the real distance between places. Afoot, I experienced land and sky and light in fresh ways, in ways I am tempted to say closer to reality. Now I walk because three miles an hour, as the writer Rebecca Solnit says, is about the speed of my thought, and maybe the speed of my soul. And I walk because, as the theologian Kosuke Koyama says, I follow a three-mile-an-hour God. I saw things differently when I walked. I felt more deeply, thought more clearly. I needed to slow down to catch up. I was going too fast for a God who seems in no particular hurry, who seems to enjoy the going there as much as the getting there. The God who, incarnate in Jesus, keeps turning to me and saying, simply and subversely, come, follow me. He's not driving when he says it. He is walking. But the truth is, I first started to think about walking because I was annoyed. I was annoyed that many spiritual traditions have a corresponding physical discipline and Christianity has nothing. Hinduism has yoga. Taoism has Tai Chi. Shintoism has karate. Christianity has nothing. This is odd. The very core of Christian faith is incarnation. God comes among us as one of us to walk with us. Incarnation is Christianity's flesh and blood, literally. And every part of Christian faith seeks embodiment, a way of being lived out here, now, in person. The Church has fought tenaciously against anything that contradicts this. Christianity's earliest, most noxious, and most persistent hearsay is Gnosticism. Gnosticism says the body doesn't matter, or worse, it's evil. It's a thing to be despised, maybe used, maybe indulged, but eventually discarded. It has no inherent value. Gnosticism is incarnation's mortal enemy. Christianity insists the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, walked among us, 
and it insists all words, ideas, theories, theologies, doctrines must become flesh and dwell among us. It calls us to embody our faith, not just know it or speak it or argue it. So it's odd that a faith so insistent on these things, a faith so inescapably incarnational, never developed a matching physical discipline to help its followers yoke their faith to practice, body to mind, holiness to breath, thought to movement, the inward to the outward. Very odd. Except, did it? Did the Christian faith have a corresponding physical discipline and then lost it? That's what I now think. And the discipline Christianity had and then lost is the oldest, simplest, and most universal practice around. How pedestrian. Pedestrian means boring, bland, dull, derivative. The opposite of exotic, thrilling, daring, original. No one wants to be pedestrian. No one wants to make, think, or do things that are pedestrian. But pedestrian used to mean one who walks. And I think I am boring, bland, dull, and derivative to the extent I am not pedestrian enough. When I walk too little, I reflect too little, and many things that could help me be wiser, kinder, and braver, a sustained and immersed attention to creation, for instance, or a good long talk with a friend, just fly past me. A sedentary life makes for a sluggish soul. A hurried life produces an unquiet mind. Both kinds of lives put our hearts at risk, literally and figuratively. But the walking life, it slows down and wakes up and works out all manner of things in us. Three miles an hour is the pace of wholeness. Yes, I started thinking hard about walking because I was annoyed. But the catalyst for writing about it was something else. The suspicion that when the Bible talks about walking in the Spirit, in the light, or in the truth, and so on, it means this in more than a figurative way. My suspicion was that the Bible means walking in a literal way, too. After all, in the Bible, most people walked. There's Paul. He covered a lot of ground on foot. Someone has calculated that his missionary travels alone covered 10,000 miles. That's more than 16,000 kilometers. So when he exhorts the church in Galatia to keep in step with the Spirit, it's likely his exhortation is rooted in his actual experience. As you walk, he is saying, from your house to your neighbor's house, or from this town to that town, do as I do. Be attentive to the nudges and whispers of God's Spirit. Be listening and speaking to the one who walks with you. Follow his lead. I am pretty sure this is how Paul worked out his own faith. He walked it out. Indeed, the earliest name for Christianity was The Way, suggesting it was not a set of doctrines to master, but a path to travel, suggesting each step deepened the familiar and opened the new, suggesting walking through wide the door that sitting could only strain against. I picture Paul after he saw the vision of a man from Macedonia. There he is, making his way up the coast from Troas to Philippi, sometimes traveling by boat but otherwise on foot, shuffling and lurching on those bandy legs he was rumored to have. Luke is with him and Silas, a few others. Sometimes, especially when rain falls hard and slanting, they walk in brooding silence, their faces pulled deep into their hoods, each dreaming of warmth and food. But then one of them says, The farmer needs this rain, it is God's grace. And then they all remember all the ways God's grace is poured out on them and through them. But it doesn't rain much in those parts, so usually they walk on the shady side of the road and talk about everything. People they know, hopes they cherish, places they've been, things they've seen. But always their talk circles back to one thing, Christ, his life and death and resurrection, and all the ways he's changed everything. This is never far from their thoughts or lips or hearts. All of it unfolding at roughly three miles an hour. And then there's Jesus. He walks and walks. 
It's Matthew and Luke who have Jesus saying, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. But it's Mark who provides most of the documentary evidence. In Mark, Jesus blazes about. His feet are a blur of movement. The one time we see him sleeping is on a boat that others are navigating. He goes to sleep, it seems, because for once he can't walk. The next time the disciples cross that lake in a boat, Jesus walks on water through a crashing storm rather than ride with them. Certainly a miraculous display of his divine power and authority over the elements, natural and spiritual, but also perhaps a sly comment about how pedestrian he is, how much he prefers walking to every other mode of getting around, and maybe an even slyer comment about how once in a while he needed a break from those men he traveled with, whose arguments, bickering, rivalries, and goofy questions wore him down. Jesus blazes about. His feet are a blur of movement. The few times we see Jesus sit, to teach, to eat, to hang out, there's a sense he's both exhausted from all that walking and yet itching to get back on his feet and on with the next leg of the journey. A car, a train, a bus, a small single prop airplane, these were not options for Jesus. A caravan, yes, or a donkey, maybe. But Jesus avoided these for reasons we don't know, but can likely guess. He was keeping pace with the three-mile-an-hour God and shaping slowly, slowly the lives of those he walked with. Those men seemed about as thick as me and so probably needed the extra time walking gave them to let things sink in, take hold. The Son of Man, the human one, as one translation has it, is a foot. The perfect man, the man representing humanity, the man who was our brother, spokesman, representative, exemplar, that man walks and walks. And all along the way, he invites us to follow him, and in the following, to become like him. We know following him is not literal anymore, but does it still involve walking? The Apostle Peter suggests it does. He sums up the whole mission of Jesus in one pithy sentence contained in a single verse of Scripture. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Acts 10.38 And he went around doing good. As the Father has sent me, Jesus says to his first disciples, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them the Holy Spirit and gave them his power. John 20.21-22 20, Our mission is the same, to receive God's anointing, his Holy Spirit, his power, to do good and to heal. But let's not miss one thing else. We're to go around, place to place, person to person, God with us. Most days, the pace of that will be about three miles an hour. Mark Buchanan is Associate Professor of Pastoral Theology at Ambrose University in Calgary. He is the author of several books. This article is based on his forthcoming book, Godspeed, Walking as Spiritual Practice. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To listen to more and to subscribe to Faith Today, Canada's Christian magazine, please visit www.theefc.ca forward slash faith today.